All right, we will be in Ephesians chapter number one tonight. Ephesians chapter number one. Trust that you had a good prayer time. I know we'll take our prayer lists and continue to pray for one another throughout the week. And I'll try to get that emailed out. And some of you may uh, like to use the list from your phone. I'll try to email that out tomorrow. And uh, thank you for praying for one another. Prayer is, is much needed. And uh, we, we sense those prayers, don't we, when we go through different trials and times in our lives and we, we sense the, the prayers that are, are made to the Lord on our behalf. Ephesians chapter number one, we started a series last Wednesday on godly motives. What, is, what motivates us? What should be our motivations? And we looked last Wednesday at what we typically would see as the number one motive for our lives, and that would be to glorify the Lord, the glory of the Lord. Whether therefore you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And we will look tonight at another motive, and that is our acceptance in Christ. Our acceptance in Christ. Ephesians 1 and verse number 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, or the beloved. And we have great promises in Ephesians 1 and 2. Lord willing, we'll have time tonight to look at several of them more specifically. But we are going to highlight this phrase, accepted in the beloved, or in the beloved. We all love affirmation. If you're following along in the outline, it should be there in the prayer list on the one side, on the back, on the right. Uh, there is an outline there if you'd like to follow along. But we all love affirmation. We need to receive praise and to receive encouragement. Our children need praise and need encouragement. They also need discipline. They also need to learn the word no. And they need to learn the word no from a very early age, right? But they also need the encouragement and the praise, the pat on the back, the job, good job, well done. And even when they're babies, there's an aspect of affirmation that comes from being held, from being cuddled and talked to and kissed and hugged. And children who don't get that, infants, babies, young people who don't get that kind of affection, they do have developmental and emotional issues that come from a lack of the affection and the proper uh, physical contact and hugs and cuddling and all that uh, should be there for an infant, for, for a child. I remember a young lady that came to our school who had been adopted from China, and she had spent, I believe this family said, the first 10 years of her life in a orphanage, foster-type home there in China, and it would be several, I forget how many numbers of babies, infants, toddlers, per individual. And of course, China doesn't have the regard for human life and the regard for human dignity like we have here in America. I know we're losing that, sadly. But in a communist society, there is very little regard for human life and dignity. So there was very little affection given to these children. And I understand this is the case in some parts of the world where there's 
babies who are abandoned or whatever, and very little affection is given. And there are developmental and emotional struggles that they experience. And this, this young lady, she now is a teenager. There was a fair amount of this that we could pick up on. And I do think the mom sometimes is a little overprotective of that. But uh, nevertheless, there were definitely uh, some issues that this young lady had as a teenager now uh, because of those many years that were spent without that kind of affirmation, physical contact, proper care and and affection that uh, she should have received. But we know that with the broken homes that was even... Uh, mentioned earlier in our prayer time and our prayer requests, we know that children are experiencing less and less of this kind of thing, and there is a desire for attention, at, sometimes at whatever cost. And being uh, a school principal for several years, I would see, particularly with young men, boys, if they were not getting proper attention at home, if they were not getting proper affirmation at home, they would act out in class. And they would do what seemed like anything to try to get attention. And yes, there was an aspect of that that was an emotional or developmental issue. But there was also a sin issue there when it became obviously distractive, disobedient. At the same time, we were trying to help the teacher and help the parents and help the child through the particular uh, needs and try to help that child understand there's a proper way to get attention, get affection. And we know that there's all the different types of ADD and ADHD that are out there now and all the diagnoses. And uh, my point isn't to get into all of that, but we desire affirmation. We all desire significance and recognition. There is a natural part to our being, to being a human that desires to understand that we have some significance, that we are recognized, and particularly, again, in the home, that a mom and a dad, you cannot remove a child from a home without there being some sort of biological, physical connection. So we get into all this LGBT and same-sex marriages and surrogacy and the different types of reproductive assistance, and you have children now who are literally being born by a, they're they're, they're born by a, a mother, born by a mother who will never ever have a relationship with that child on purpose because a same sex union will hire that woman and rent her womb for a child who will be born and there will be absolutely no relationship. She has signed off on a contract for that baby to be delivered to homosexual men or maybe a lesbian couple and they are completely removed from that child, that mother is, and yet there is a bond there that cannot be just cut cut off without their having some sort of effects. Uh, That mother bonds with that child, and yet there's a contract now. I mean, there's these kinds of things going on. I've I've seen young people removed from homes where 16, 17 years later, after having never hardly spent any time with their mom or their dad, there's still that desire 
to want to know who their mom or dad is, to spend time with them, to get to know them. There's the adoptions, there's the children who are adopted as babies. I mean, there is a natural bond, a biological bond that is reality, but then there is just the fact that we as human beings, we want to know why we're here. What's the purpose of our life? What are we doing? How do we get here? Where are we going? And the secular humanism and the expressive individualism isn't answering those questions. We're just the product of time, chance, and lady luck. We just got here by accident. And we're in the process of creating more accidents so further accidents can hopefully produce a better tomorrow. <laughs> what kind of hope is there in that? What about us as believers? Where do we find our acceptance? Where do we find our significance and our recognition? We all need it naturally. We desire that from a mom, a dad, from those who, uh, maybe a coach or a leader in our life, those who are influential in our lives. We, we know there's a natural need, and, and as parents, we want to bring that to our homes. We want to not just be negative all the time. We also want to praise. I remember as a father with my boys playing sports and having to bite my tongue because they'd come off the court, come off the field, and they had made a terrible play. And usually, they knew it before I ever could bring it up. And, and I would have to remind myself as they came off the field, off the court, the first thing out of my mouth shouldn't be, why did you do that? Why, what were you thinking? No, my first reaction, and I, I hope and pray, as best I can remember, I think I did better at this than, uh, than, uh, than, than some dads. I don't, I'm not trying to brag on myself or whatever, but I really tried to say good game, pat him on the back, and say a word of encouragement. And usually, a few minutes into the conversation on the way home, there'd be something that would come up that would lead to that particular play, that particular, and one particular child I didn't have to say a word. He was already beating himself up before. And I would have to kind of pull him out of the dump sometimes uh, because he would think he had a terrible game and really there were a lot of good things that happened. But there's that temptation to just dwell on the negative. So it, it immediately applies in the home. But just in general, as believers, even as adults, I mean, there are husbands and wives that struggle in their relationship because they can never do anything right for the the spouse. She's always nagging him. He's always making her feel like she's not worthy. You're not doing enough for me. And I talk about this in premarital counseling. And even when I'm counseling uh, couples from time to time, I'll say things like, don't use superlatives. Try to avoid the superlatives. You never, well, I can remember 1945 at such and such a time, right? they can come up with an exception to the never. Well, you always, and then there's an exception, and then it doesn't seem to accomplish anything. But we even have to work on that in our relationships as uh, husband and wife or just in relationships in general. But where are we finding, ultimately, no human being this side of heaven will fully, 100%, completely fulfill all of the significance, all of the affirmation, all the recognition that we need. Do we strive to be better at that 
as moms and dads, as husbands and wives in our relationships? Sure. I hope that we're all working on that. I hope that we're all trying to do better in this. And at the same time, not just ignoring where it's necessary to say no, where it's necessary to discipline, where it's necessary to say this is the way it is, this is the way it's going to be. As for me and my house, we're going to do it this way and serve the Lord in this way. We, we still obviously keep those convictions while at the same time making sure that we're still praising and we're still affirming in the right and positive ways. But no husband, no wife is ever going to 100% fulfill in every way all the time all of the needs of significance and affirmation and recognition in their, in their spouse or in a human being. It's just, it's just not humanly possible. And again, I hope that we're working at it. We're doing our, our best and we're striving before the Lord uh, to be that right uh, person. We're going to be talking more and more this year about discipleship and Sunday nights. And Lord willing, as we continue in that series, we'll be talking about mentoring and discipleship and some of the practical aspects of that. But ultimately, as believers, while we benefit from being encouraged by others and we desire significance and recognition and we all love affirmation, we have got to, as believers, be careful because an imbalanced or excessive desire for approval can be like an unpredictable roller coaster of insecurity and instability. It can lead to excesses. On one side, it can lead to pride, self-absorption, self-promotion, narcissism. Sometimes the bullies in school have the most insecurities. They're covering up some deep wounds. They have to put on this big front. Sometimes there are people, they're even are adults. They've grown up in certain kinds of negative home situations, and the only way they know how to deal with life is to just be a bully about it. And it's hard. Sometimes we have to go a little further. We have to spend a little bit more time and see a little deeper and find out that there might be a softer side. Some of them, they don't, they don't have a softer side. Some people are the other direction. They're living in constant fear and doubt and worry and unfaithfulness. And they're living on the other extreme. And they're a woe is me. They're the Peanuts character with the dark cloud over their head, always got a storm going on in their life, and it's just like all the time they're playing the violin, and everybody's having a pity party for them, they're always playing the victim. There's extremes on both sides of this. There's, it seems like the ones that get the most attention are the narcissistic individuals, who they are seeking all this recognition and significance and affirmation by being bullies <laughs> by being rude and running people over and constantly demanding attention and now we have the internet don't we now everybody no matter how big of an idiot you are you can try to get your significance on the internet right and so anybody with a phone or a computer with an internet signal can post any amount of ridiculous stupidity <laughs> sometimes. But it's out there on the internet and that's their desire in many cases just for relevance, just for some significance, just for affirmation. And if we're not careful, significance, affirmation, recognition can become an idol. 
and it's what we strive for. I'm not against social media. I think there are certain apps that are very dangerous. I think that too many apps can create too many distractions. I think that certain apps are full of the dark side and are full of temptations. I think that any of us with social media, with internet, have to be disciplined enough that we don't get consumed by it. But we can become all about likes and follows and subscribers. And you know the stories. You've seen them, right? The kids who, it's not always kids, it's sometimes adults, going to a grocery store or a restaurant or a mall, do silly things just to get something, a video to post. What about all these TikTok challenges? Eating Tide Pods? Really? Who would ever want to pick up a pot of laundry detergent and think that that would be good for anyway but why would some people do that well, I want to be like this group I want to be accepted by this group I don't want to be rejected by I me mean, how many times have we done stupid things dumb things ridiculous things just because we wanted the approval of someone or some group and later on we're like why did I ever care about them and what they thought of me right but that is what we desire and we have to be very careful that we keep it in check, that we keep it in the proper place before the Lord, that we don't go to the excesses of pride and narcissism and self-promotion and self-absorption, nor do we go to the excesses of fear and doubt and worry and unfaithfulness and make idols out of recognition and affirmation and recognition. So how should we serve the Lord? We should serve the Lord because we are accepted, not because we think we need to earn acceptance. Now, let's take a minute and let's think about this. Did we earn our salvation? Did we work hard enough and do enough things to get God to pay attention to us? And after we had worked hard enough and done enough good works and been a good person for long enough, then God saved us. No, we didn't earn our salvation, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves, as the gift of God. So why then do we think that in order to be accepted by God who saved us, that we have to continue to do certain things in order to earn his love? If we're saved and we're a child of God, do we lose his love? Do we somehow lose his salvation? No, we don't undo his justification, his salvation. We didn't earn our salvation by our good works, nor do we somehow keep our salvation by our good works. We are accepted in the beloved. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't do good works? Of course. The good works, the fruit, we talked about fruit last week, last Wednesday night, in the glory of the Lord, that fruit is a byproduct of our salvation and our desire now to love him, to serve him, to please him, to live a life of fruitfulness, of doing God's will, of being a living sacrifice. It's a response to the love that he showed us. We love him because he first loved us. And now in response to the great debt that he paid for us that we could not pay in return, we Love him with a faithfulness of life, with fruitfulness of life, 
with the good works, because we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So an illustration again for, again, thinking as a dad and kids who've, my children who've played sports, it would be wrong for me as a father to say, well, my love for my children is based on their performance on the athletic field or on the ball court. Or their ability with music or their ability with... Now, can our kids sometimes greatly disappoint us? Yes, but we still love them. They're, I mean, our children could disown our name. They could go down to the Social Security office and pay whatever fees and fill out whatever paperwork and change their name from Floyd to who knows what. But it doesn't change the fact they're still Floyd. They still have Floyd blood running through their veins. Well, God loves us for eternity. As, as his children, we never lose our salvation. No one can pluck us out of the Father's hand. Does his love ever cease? Now, there's chastening. There might be discipline. There might be consequences. But all, even that is a part of love, right? For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And every son whom he receiveth. That that chastening might be, bring about the peaceable fruit of righteousness, which we even talked about last week. So we have to remember that we serve the Lord. We should serve the Lord because we are accepted. We're, we're, we're saved. We're in him. Not because we think we need to earn acceptance. Our service for the Lord should not be out of guilt. Our service for the Lord should not be out of comparison. Now, we have to be careful because, again, as parents, as a pastor, in leadership and ministry, and in our homes, in different places, maybe as a manager, as a boss, I have found, even as a pastor and as a school principal and having different maybe leadership positions as a coach or whatever, and you've probably experienced this as well, when do you get the most productivity and the best response out of your employees? By guilt-tripping them all the time? Laying a heavy hand on them? Constantly just berating them? Or when you give positive encouragement, constructive criticism... Maybe sit them down and talk through, this is what you could do to improve, or how we could do things better, or I know you blew it here, or sometimes I know there's firings and all that that have to happen. But isn't it more productive in a workplace when there's encouragement and there's positive and there is a way in which there is rewards and just a, a, a better work environment? Have you ever been in a place where it's just beat down, guilt-tripping, isn't it a shame when pastors and spiritual leaders, it's all about guilt tripping and beating down and can I just go ahead and say legalism sometimes and the pastor thinks because he's the fourth person of the Trinity that he can be the Holy Spirit in every detail of every, people's, every person's life and then there's just this constant guilt trip. I'll tell you right now, I couldn't control any single one of you. Why would I want to try to control every area of 150 people's lives? I'd be miserable. And then you would all point your finger at me and say, well, you don't always do it right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, the guilt tripping just doesn't, it's, it doesn't work. It's not effective. 
it's, it's about loving people, and yes, there's challenges, and yes, there's confrontations, and yes, there's times where we have to uh, get kind of messy and dirty in, in dealing with people's lives, but there's far more benefit through love and through the right kind of biblical positivity and encouragement and praise and, 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 and in our kids' lives as well. If they're constantly berated and beat down, they grow up insecure and with all kinds of other issues. But we shouldn't serve the Lord out of guilt, nor should we serve the Lord out of comparison. What do we read in, I think it's 2 Corinthians 10 and verse number 12, those who compare themselves among themselves are not wise. Get into the comparison game. And I remember my mom, there'd be times where I'd come home and I wasn't the best athlete or I didn't have this talent or this ability and I'd be doing the whole woe is me and my mom or my dad would say, listen, you are who God made you to be. Maximize your strengths, shore up your weaknesses, be the best that you can be with the Lord's help, but you are not (laughs) so-and-so. You are not this person. You don't have to be. We love you for who you are. God loves you as you are. Now, he wants you to be more like him. He wants you to grow in Christ-likeness, but I'm thankful for those conversations with my mom and dad, and I've had to turn around and have similar with my kids, and aren't we thankful that uh, we are not in this Christian life in the journey of life in the race of the Christian life constantly okay who's out in front no we all have been given in the will of God an area of faithfulness a set of talents God has given us a race to run and it's not about us looking around and comparing ourselves and who's out in front and who's got the most talent we're to take everything that God has given us whether it be five talents two or one and use them for the Lord and surrender them to the Lord And we can get caught up in this comparison game, and it's so easy to do. Again, social media doesn't help with this, because people can post all the things that they're doing, and every place that they're going, and all the things that they're buying, and and we can get caught up in that, can't we? And what usually goes on social media is the, the best foot forward, the best thing that they can put forward. Well, do they put on there? Some people do. Some people share way too much. I had a bad day. Here's me with my sad face, my sad selfie, right? Some people do that. But most people, it's 99% only the good stuff in life, right? They're usually not putting on there things that are negative. But anyway, this, this comparison thing, it doesn't just go away when we become adults. It still happens, even in the ministry. I feel some of that, and I have to catch myself and check my, my heart, because sometimes we as preachers, how many you got in your church? How many walked the aisle your, your last service? How much are your offerings? What's your budget? You know, all that kind of stuff. Get, I mean, I have to check my heart, too, in, in the ministry. And seeing some of these big ministries and some of the things that these other places are doing, and I, I have to check my heart. And This is where God's called you. This is the people that God has called you to. And you're to love them and you're to serve them and not be caught up in, in all of that. And uh, anyway, there's so much more we could say about that. Those are the verses. Colossians 3 and verse 23. Whatsoever your hand find to do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. And then our service for the Lord should be in recognition of our unworthiness. Paul, he was taken up into the third heaven. Incredible evangelist, pastor, apostle. And what did God give him? 2 Corinthians Chapter 12, gave him what? A thorn in the flesh. 
lest he be exalted above measure. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, as Jesus spoke to him, my grace is sufficient for thee. And we find that we find his strength in our weakness. And too often we think that we're strong when really we're weak. And we need to recognize our own unworthiness. Wish we had time to go to Romans chapter 8 and Ephesians 1 and 2. We're really out of time, but if you want to do your own personal study, our acceptance in Christ. Look at these promises. Look at our position in Christ from Romans 8. No condemnation, freed from the law of sin and death. The Spirit indwelling us, mortal bodies quickened, joint heirs with Christ. All things work together for good. We know His purpose for us is to be conformed to Christ. God is for us, freely given all things. Justified, we have an intercessor, and nothing can separate us from his love. And then again, if you want to do a further study, Ephesians 1 and 2, blessed with all spiritual blessings, positioned in the heavenly places, chosen to be without blame before him, adopted as children, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, shown his will, obtained inheritance, praise of his glory, sealed by his spirit, given security for our inheritance, his workmanship, made nigh by his blood and peace. And we don't deserve any of that. We don't deserve any single one of those, only by his grace and by his mercy. Our motivation, hopefully we are motivated by our acceptance in Christ, being found in him. Thank you for being here tonight. Let's close in prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for these truths. Lord, may our motive, as we looked at last week, be the glory of the Lord, your glory. And then, Lord, may... We be motivated by our acceptance in the beloved and being in Christ. Thank you for these truths, these promises. May we live them out. Pray, Lord, for your protection, for your guidance and direction throughout this week. And even for the men's meeting on Saturday. Pray to bring us back together again, Lord willing, on Sunday. And continue to guide and direct in our lives, in our church. And thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here. I hope that you have a great rest of the week. We look forward to seeing you on Saturday or Saturday.